Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 22, Tune In Tomorrow, from 1990. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this is a very rare guest-free episode, Tune In Tomorrow, nobody wanted to do. Oh, I can't imagine why. This movie, I mean, this is another one where I just I never heard of it mm-hmm. before, and if I never hear about it again, it'll be fine with me. I mean, it's not... That's sort of a joke. I mean, it's not terrible. It's just weird. And yeah. it's, it's I, I don't want to, I say weird too much, but like it's weird in lots of ways. Like it's tonally weird. The plot is weird. Everything is just sort yeah. of off about this. Yeah, it's another uneven movie, right? Like it's adapted from a novel once again. So knowing that, uh, I understand some of the issues. The movie is not without its merits. I did enjoy some sequences, but I agree overall. Like it just did not work for me. I just feel like it, fell completely flat it's set in 1951 in detroit and i don't think they really do anything about like the detroit setting to make it important at all really do they there's one scene in the beginning it starts in detroit and then they move to new orleans for the rest of the movie i don't know if you caught that i don't think i did and i don't, I don't think it really matters <laughs> mm-hmm. much nope. i mean no they there's probably one shot of bourbon street at the beginning and then you know since it's the 50s everything just kind of looks like the 50s so they don't really make a point of it being in new orleans very much it's important that it's set in the 50s because the whole thing is about radio plays and the the, the sort of the the name of the movie comes from the name of the show which is called tune in tomorrow which is the soap opera radio program that the station that keanu writes at that's the show that they put on. And so every day, all these housewives and people listen to their radio show and then, you know, tune in tomorrow to find out what happened. And so aside from that, like, that's important why it's in the 50s. But like, other than that, I mean, it, it sort of like could exist at any time. And mm-hmm. like the weirdest thing about that in a way is for the most part, Keanu was not really doing an accent. And then toward the end of the movie, he just sort of like falls into this like weird accent. I don't know if you caught that, but like it, mm. he just has like it's not even like consistent throughout a scene. I just noticed it like a couple times. Oh, this is this is happening now. Well, what's kind of interesting with Keanu in this movie is I did notice right away the accent, and then I kind of noticed it went away, and mm-hmm. then it kind of came back again for a while. But he'll kind of portray almost this exact character in Devil's Advocate, like this southern slick. Well, this character is not a lawyer, but he mentions he wants to study law. I found that amusing. But he had the same slip back hair, and he'll try and put on the same southern accent as well. So I was just getting flash-forwards from that character. Hi there, pretty lady. Mom. I'll be a bit late. Got to go to the bus station. What for? Got to pick up my aunt. See you later. Well, well, another aunt? How many aunts you got? This is the one who ran away to New York 20 years ago. She's a divorcee. Sorry, I mean double divorcee. I didn't even think about that, and that's a great call. I mean, he looks the same, right? I mean, not just the hair, but like the whole... Devil's Advocate, I think, is going to be coming... I think it's the last movie we do right before The Matrix. I mean, he's going to be a big star by then, but like The Matrix, there's no movie that he's ever done or will ever do that's bigger than that. And so it sort of bookends the decade almost with this look... Devil's Advocate, I've seen multiple times. I love that movie. I love how insane it is. I just love everything yeah. about it. This movie, it's just, it, it doesn't really know what it wants to be. At least we get Keanu in a leading role. Like, if, the, if this was a movie 
where we've seen lately where Keanu sort of receded in the background, it would have almost been unbearable. Because right. like, like at least we have him on screen a lot that we can sort of follow along and figure out what he's doing. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, he's the kind of presence that doesn't save the movie, but makes it watchable for me. You know, like I'll just sit there and study him or look at him. And maybe part of that is because, you know, we're doing the show, but it's also, you know, actually just feel like he's interesting to watch. So, and there's some other stuff like Peter Falk is pretty good in this, but I mean, the film is pretty misleading right from the beginning, which kind of, you know, made me a little upset because it makes you think that this whole thing is going to be about a cast that puts on this radio drama and the new writer is here and he's very controversial and Keanu works with him and they sort of uh, butt heads a bit. But then the story completely leaves the radio station for the most part. Yep. And it's mostly about him trying to sleep with his aunt. I can't figure out in that regard and also how it treats the radio station, if this is supposed to be like a satire or if they're like paying homage, like, cause it's, it's sometimes it, it feels like they're just making fun of it, mm-hmm. but at other times it feels like they like genuinely love. And I mean, I guess that sort of goes hand to hand, but it feels like they love the medium of old timey radio. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if they're, I don't know how to feel about things. Yeah. I have the same troubles actually, uh, because I would have actually preferred, you know, like I said, I, I, I actually thought just the movie, if it just was contained in the radio station and, you know, he was still trying to score with his aunt, that's fine. But involve these characters more and make that more of a movie. Instead, to me, it almost just felt like this is something we want to touch upon and something we can use to try and draw parallels to what's happening in the plot. You know, that's how I feel like what's going on in the story almost starts to become the radio drama by the end of the film. You know, it's all about sexual taboos and sleeping with family members and stuff like that. And it kind of reflects the plot of the film in a way. So I didn't really think that they were like making fun of it, but I just felt like it should have been better used more more of the focus for me it doesn't feel like it's what the movie's about and it, i feel like it it should be what the movie's about so the whole thing like the, the through line throughout the entire movie is that this new writer comes in and pretty much everything he writes is about incest right mm-hmm. every one of his plays is about like this forbidden love and i think that's kind of that's like supposed to be the joke, I think, that this guy only has one story that he tells, I think. But also, it's never really clear if we're supposed to respect him or if we're supposed to make funny. It's just, it's strange. Yeah, he's almost a character that deserves the entire movie instead of weaving in and out of Keanu's story. I mean, he's such a presence, the character, the writer that Peter Falk plays, Pedro. And the movie through him is trying to make this very strong point about writing, you know, like writing should come from experience or writing is more than just sitting and typing. And, you know, he acts out all of his characters at home and dresses up as as them. And, you know, it's all about inspiration and takes his stories from real life. Again, it just, it hovers in the background, whereas it feels it should make more of an impact. And the movie really just (laughs) wants to focus on like a subplot from the Prince of Pennsylvania sleeping with this older redhead, (laughs) basically almost looks just like the lady too. And that is really what the movie's concerned with. And I'm kind of not, that's the stuff that's really not working for me. And it's most of what's happening. What's weird about the Peter Falk role is that he almost feels like he belongs in another movie. Mm. Like, this is... The, the genre is on IMDb. Like, I have to check to figure out what this movie, like, classified itself as. <laughs> this movie is comedy and romance. 
you know, those two things go hand in hand in a lot of different movies. I mean, we saw like some of our favorite or some of my favorite, at least Cage movies like It Could Happen to You is comedy and romance. Like those two genres go hand in hand beautifully here. It's like, I don't know if it's just the style of comedy or the way they implement it, but it feels like it's just two wildly different movies jammed into one. And just like the tones do not match anything. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I feel like Keanu in this would have fit into something along the lines of Peggy Sue Got Married or even Back to the Future. Like, he kind of pulls off that 50s look. Like, I feel like he belongs in the era. You know, we talked a lot on Cage Club about how he kind of blends into the time, whatever time period that the movie takes place really well. That still remains to be seen completely with Keanu, but I feel like here... If this were a straight-up comedy, if it, if the movie you know knew what it wanted to be, I feel like he would fit in it. That's not what's throwing me. Maybe through adaptation of the book, they just weren't sure which direction to go. I th- he does a good job of blending in here, and I actually wrote down like sort of like the cage chameleon effect, right? What's sort of weird, I was kind of thinking, it's sort of it's almost like the movie read my mind that when the movie begins, you know, this comes out in 1990 and it's set 40 years earlier. I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder, like, we never really see people in, like, old-timey movies acting the way that they act today. In terms of, like, everything sort of seems, like, a little bit more rigid. And even, like, when the characters in movies are a little bit counterculture or whatever, they still sort of have, like, a reserved vibe. You know what I mean? Mm. And in this movie, as soon as I thought that, like, we see Keanu sort of, like, a little bit kind of like rocking out while driving down the street in his car and like, you know, just sort of like into the music. And that's, I mean, it's not like a a huge, like a crazy example, but it's something that I haven't really seen, I don't think, in too many movies. I'm not sure if that makes sense. It's like just the way that he's carrying himself, it feels more today. And it really makes me wonder if that's how people acted back then. Yeah, especially in contrast to the female lead who's really mucking it up like a 50. She almost sounds like she's from the 40s. I almost thought she stepped out of like Hudsucker Proxy. She sounds like Jennifer Jason Lee from that movie, the really whip fast talking news reporter type of gal almost. And yeah, and compared to Keanu, you're right. I almost wonder if there's just not that much of a difference between the 50s and the 90s as far as like teenage behaviorism necessarily if that might be part of it or if it's just like his naturalism is working for the role it also made me think a little that when you mentioned it like of dangerous liaisons uh, how tobin mentioned how like they're kind of acting as if it's the late 80s even though it's you know way back when so maybe he was taking that kind of direction where it's just you know play yourself be yourself you from the 90s feel like you will fit in in the 50s I think so. I mean, it's not like he's like sticks out. Like, I think, I mean, we talked about it on the Dangerous Liaisons episode, like he just mentioned, that Keanu sort of, he can feel out of place there mm-hmm. in a way, even though I guess sort of on a, on a broader scale he fits in. Here he doesn't like stand out. It's just like, it, it's, it's sort of a different depiction maybe. And maybe that's as simple as it is, that it's just a different way about treating the 50s and treating the way that people, because I mean, I don't know anything. And I feel like that's sort of, it's difficult to know I think that's something that's like lost to history almost. I don't know how we could ever find really how people acted naturally. Because if there were like cameras, they're going to be sort of acting different around the... I don't know. 
Yeah, you almost had to be there, right? Like we have to, like I'd have to watch this with my dad and ask him, like, does that resemble you and your friends in high school the way you guys were? It's true too, because you know we almost rely too much on film sometimes to depict history for us, and but again, other times it's the only way, it's the only window into the past that we have. One other thing about Keanu here is I kind of noticed that for a while he's been stuck in sort of that Ted type role and here he's breaking out of that so that kind of took me half the movie to catch on to i realized like oh okay that's sort of what's up here is like he's interesting and i'm following him more because he's he's not doing the ted there's another character named dr ted in this movie (laughs) um but it's it's not keanu in this He's a very different type of guy than we've seen in a lot of these different movies. The last ones we've done, we did I Love You to Death, where he's still that sort of kind of a Ted character. The Tracy Ullman show, I guess that this is, I mean, as short as that sketch was, it's almost something like the Tracy Ullman show, right? It's a, it's almost the same character. It's oh like gosh. this earnest young man it's like in movie. love with an older woman. It's like a whole movie about that sketch now that you mention it. That's <laughs> insane. I didn't even think about that. I'm just I'm looking at the the past episodes that we've recorded. Parenthood, he's like Ted. American Playhouse, he's just sort of mopey and like nothing. Then it's Ted before that. So I mean, the Tracy Ullman show that's bizarre. I mean, I don't know if we can. I don't know if there's a deeper insight we can take about this movie other than it's that movie extrapolated or that sketch extrapolated to a full movie. I think we mentioned watching that in that episode. That sketch didn't exactly work the best for all of us, but I'll take it over this movie. You know, that's kind of how I feel. Like, it works better in modern times in a very short period of time. Uh, I would have rather, again, just like to have seen much more going on at the radio station. I just feel like if they're going to riff on it, really go for it. And that's something that you could really make comedic. And people have tried. You know, Woody Allen did a movie about him remembering, like, growing up, listening to the radio and all the radio plays. And George Lucas made a movie about, like, the radio plays and all that. So it it was kind of true trying to be a genre around this time in a strange kind of way where you have all these filmmakers who grew up at that period almost trying to recreate their past on screen for us. Because what's also frustrating, like I agree with you that I'd rather see more about, especially as someone who you know, went to school for journalism. I want to see, even though it's sort of fiction, it's not necessarily, I want to see stuff like based around news and reality as opposed to this love story that could sort of take place at any time. And what's really frustrating about the love story is that the woman that he's in love with, Aunt Julia, who is, I, I believe, I can look at my notes, but I believe it's like his father's brother's wife's sister. Something. It's yep. like it's like an aunt, but like not really yeah. blood related. So it's like a little bit less creepy. I can't get a read on how into this she is, <laughs> because like toward the end of the movie, the whole thing is that he's taking advice from Pedro, the new writer. Except he doesn't realize, even after this happens to him like once or twice, that all the advice he's getting is just so that Pedro can write better radio play. And so he's basically just like, Keanu is just a pawn for Pedro to do all these crazy things so that he can figure out what happens, sort of get realistic, natural dialogue, see people interacting in real life, and then take the best of that and turn them into a radio play. And so toward the end of the movie, you know, as Keanu's like, I'm, I'm losing my aunt, you know, she's gonna, she's dating this gynecologist, which I feel is like a very specific weird doctor that they're talking about very openly for it being 1951. You know, she's like, I'm, I'm dating him, and Keanu's like, I'm, I'm losing her, I need to do something, like some big bold gesture. And Pedro says, oh, just marry her. And even though she's dating this guy, like, she seems like she's sort of on board to get married, right? Yeah, she's hard to get a read on. I agree. I I agree with everything you just said. You know, she's a tough character. Her relationship with Keanu throughout this is very hard to track for me because in one scene, it's like she hates him. But then in the next scene, 
it's like she's in love with them. But then she's just like, oh, it's your, it's like a young love kind of thing. But then it gets real serious and then it doesn't and it becomes dramatic. It seems like they're trying to use her to be like a comedic character yet her issues are very deep and serious like she's considered yeah. <laughs> like this wild child that ran away to new york and got in trouble and came back and she's just looking to marry for security to some rich guy not even for love and she probably is fooling around with keanu at first just because he's a good looking young man you know and she thinks she's like blanche dubois yeah so they do not do her very much justice in this and i don't feel like she's acting the way anyone really would act naturally you know she's almost stepped right out of one of those radio dramas maybe that's the point i don't think that's the point because i don't think that that really works i honestly don't know i don't think that she's written in a way that she's supposed to be taken from the the soap opera because she's not melodramatic she's just sort of flip-floppy and like i think the problem with her character or one of the problems with her character is that there's just too many things going on the whole sort of forbidden love is that rightfully so Keanu's father is against this relationship because he's just a kid. They are in some way, even if it's sort of extended family, they're related. And so the dad, this being, especially in the, in the reserved 1951 landscape, you know, this is something that should not and cannot happen. But like, we never really see them outside like the, uh, uh, maybe a scene or two in the beginning of the movie. There's not a lot of interaction with them and his dad. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know if that would be necessarily like two one note if they, had interactions, but I feel like there's got to be something more there, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think they try to fill that void with the portrayal in the soap opera because that mainly follows the father learning about all the incest and infidelity going on in the play. But I think the other major problem is that she's just not in it enough. She's a super main character and she's kind of needs to be in the movie more. Like we need scenes with her without Keanu in them. And I feel like we don't really get that. Like we need scenes of her and the doctor doing stuff and her realizing like, oh, this guy's a dud or scenes of, like you say, Keanu and his family and things like that. But we're always bouncing back to Peter Falk, you know, trying on different uniforms and clothing and writing (laughs) and things. And like that stuff's the stuff I like. It's just not important to the story that's like central to this film you know what i'm saying like the story is about keanu and the ant and unfortunately there's no room for the stuff i like i really wonder what happened to this movie because there's not a lot of information online about it there's not even a plot summary on wikipedia not that i got lost i'm just i'm trying to figure out like am i missing things and i want to like figure out like if if i was missing things and i went on there and there's just not a plot summary there's no trivia on imdb Like, I want to know if this movie began as a radio drama and there just wasn't enough there, or if it was like a romance story that needed to set it somewhere. I don't know which came first, because it doesn't feel like, you know, as we've been saying throughout, it doesn't feel like the two go together. And I want to know which came first. I mentioned earlier that they, well, what they mentioned at the end of the movie is that it's based on a novel. Right. So, I mean, I think there's... Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. I think that, you know, that's the... That's the age-old, you know, answer right there for the most part, I think, is that all we're going to have to say from now on. If it's one of these uneven affairs, you're going to have to be, well, it's the adaptation. Just something went wrong. They just, they, they lacked the focus that they needed. So, I mean, I haven't read the book. I don't know how closely they followed it or not. You know, maybe they did stray and maybe that was the issue. But I feel like that's got to be a big part of the answer. I completely forgot that it was adapted. And so, I mean, that answers pretty much all of our criticisms, I think, about 
you know, not enough screen time for these characters and sort of... You know what it doesn't answer for me, though, is the weakness of the storyline. Because, like, like, let's just take Keanu, his character, Martin, for instance. He writes the news at the radio station, right? That's supposedly his job. He's the news typist. Right. We never see him reporting <laughs> ever any news whatsoever. It's true. He maybe sits at a typewriter once to type something. Who I don't even I didn't I don't know if they read it. It could have been a love letter. <laughs> the, the biggest interaction he has with the typewriter is when Pedro shows up and s- tries to steal the typewriter, and like he's defending it like this is like his baby, but like we never really see him working on it. What's going on? Good evening. That's my typewriter. Wrong, turd bird. It's mine. Hey, Tottenham, for God's sake. This is the newsroom typewriter. Okay, Dick Licker. Outside. Parking lot. I'm gonna rip your tinny tongue out. Come on. Out. Out. Hey. Hey. Out. 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 Come on. Take it easy. Uh, What's going on? This greaseball tried to steal our typewriter. Like, I thought maybe he was, you know, the copy boy or someone who ran out like a gopher to go get coffee and stuff and, you know, never went back to work. (laughs) Uh, But that was supposed to be the connection. Like, he needed to be at the office more, like, typing with people running in and out, reading lines, you know, involve the radio station. I really wonder why anybody tries to adapt anything, because I feel like both for Keanu and for Cage, more often than not, things just fall flat. This movie's not short, but I feel like it needs another, like, half hour. It's close to an hour 50, I think. It's like an hour 45-ish, but I think it could use so much more time. I don't know why they didn't spend more time with it. I completely agree. I'm glad people do try. You know, I think there are more bad adaptations than good ones, but the good ones can be so good. (laughs) Like Psycho and Jaws, the movies that came from stuff like that are great. So I'm glad they're trying, but it's a skill, you know, it's a talent. I don't just think any old screenwriter should be, and I don't know about this screenwriter very much, but I just don't, you know, you can't just assign someone a book and say, make it a screenplay. You know, I think really there's certain writers that are, are good at that. They find a certain way that it works, you know, it can work, but you know, you're right, not everything should be adapted. And it just makes me wonder about this particular book, like why this, someone chose this and it made it all the way to the theaters. That's what baffles me. I just don't, I couldn't imagine reading this and going like, yeah, I got to see this. So the, the movie is based on this novel called Aunt Julia and the Scriptwriter, which was published or written and published in 1977. It's set in Peru. It's set by this Nobel Prize-winning author, Mario Vargas Llosa. Llosa? He was born in Peru, so he's a citizen of both Peru and Spain. Is he still alive? He, I think he's still alive. This is mind-blowing. So, yeah, so the book came out 13 years earlier in a different language, and they adapted it. Like, it's crazy. And, like, the the plot, there's the... So, like I was saying before, there's no, you know, synopsis of the movie on the Wikipedia page, but on the book's Wikipedia page, there is a plot summary, and, like, you know, it's set in Peru, and it's set at a a Pan-American radio station, and they have, you know, novellas instead of soap operas, but, like, it's all, it's the same thing, like, it's just, it's Spanish story Mm. set now, and it's, whew, it's weird. That's insane. That's crazy. (laughs) Like, I mean, I understand why they didn't make the foreign language version of this, but, damn, I bet that would have worked so well, you know? Like, if someone you know, overseas made 
made the book closer. I don't know. It just because if you feel, especially with the Peter Falk character, like the the wacky craziness that's right under the surface of this, that the movie really should be. I almost feel like Mel Brooks should have directed this, and it would have been yeah. great. You know, like, he would have found a way to really orchestrate this. But that is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not like why even bother with this is correct. Like just move on, find find a book and takes place in America at a radio station during the 50s and infuse it with all of your energies and, and focus it on that. I don't want to be stereotypical, but like this sort of needs the heightened mania of like of like a Latin influence. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. you know, the Spanish setting in the book and the way that the book is described and that Peter Falk character, like everything about it is just like, everything has to be amplified. It's like they wanted to make a soap opera grounded in reality. I mean, that's not the point yeah. of a soap opera. Like, the, like people enjoy soap operas for being like insane. Yeah, you're right, because reality never escalates to the point of the serial that they're putting on. And that's what I was always thinking this was going toward, was that, okay, when Peter Fox typing, we actually get to see what he's like, almost like we're watching a television version of the radio play, you know? And, and that stuff is really the crazy, manic, wacky stuff that I enjoyed, you know, that, that I was expecting the movie to match by the end, you know? I thought it was going to get so crazy and out of control and over the top, almost like, like an actual... 50s Hollywood comedy might almost like the end of Blazing Saddles does you know like they just really go crazy and out of control but it doesn't it, it actually tries to go in quite the opposite direction where the radio drama gets dark and serious and reality starts to get super dark and serious and we even get Keanu with a gun again by the end of this film you just sort of touched on it, but like we haven't mentioned this entire time the fact that we cut away from the main plot of the movie to see the stories that Peter Falk is writing and like a young Peter Gallagher's in these and like they're all like these crazy like you know like, like this Victoria era wedding I think you know some kind of like Greek thing maybe and there's like this this nerd like everything <laughs> it's in it's bananas it's so like it's so unrelated to anything else that's going on and it's it's kind of wonderful because the first time it happens you're like we did like this like it, it, it tips its hand and like I was willing to put money on the fact that like, OK, this is going to be like the telling of his story, because the first time I think that we see the radio play, we're just seeing the actors actually act it out, which is kind of cool. We get to see like the guy, you know, making like the one guy making all the sound effects yeah, or whatever. That guy's great. And then the next time that happens, <laughs> we just are we just we're at a wedding and it's just like and I, I saw like a guy in the background like turn his head really quickly and I was like wait is that Keanu like what did I miss I'm like wait a minute no this isn't I, I can figure this out it's just it's it's strange yeah it's jarring to say the least like right off the bat when it happens the first time but then it it happens again and again throughout the movie and it's not that I wasn't expecting them to go back to that it's just I didn't expect them to just arbitrarily sort of cut back to it and we're not at the wedding anymore but we've followed a character home that that's what's weird is like they cut all of the middle out of those parts so we just see glimpses of it right and for me it's kind of hard to follow in that regard and that's when i was almost like well i would just rather see this being done at the radio station <laughs> 
it's crazy because suddenly John Larroquette's on screen and there's, you know, Dan Hedaya, the dad from Clueless. He's got an eye patch on and this is real. Well, spoiler alert, he has two eyes. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. when he rips it off. This is real, like, that real telenovela stuff. And I liked it, even though it was confusing, because it was entertaining, you know, like you could feel the style to it, like you could feel the energy in it. And then when you cut back to the actual reality stuff, everything just kind of feels too heavy at the end. Nothing, nobody really is happy for a lot of the film either. You know, Keanu's kind of upset that he can't score with his aunt and his aunt's upset that their family finds out and you know she's gonna have to run away again and all this so there's a lot of that going on back in reality and i just want to see you know (laughs) the the boss at the radio station like we never meet the twin brother to the guy you know i couldn't even believe i picked up the guy had a twin brother we never saw no we the thing is you you do see both brothers oh we do (laughs) okay well i would have loved to have seen more of both brothers (laughs) I mean, the whole thing is that it's the one actor playing both brothers. Yeah. And so they can never be in the same place at the same time. Yes. And so the whole, like, joke is that, like, Keanu and everybody never knows which one they're talking to, which I guess is, like, funny, but it's also, okay, uh, okay, like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just... yeah, yeah. Well, that's how what... it lands because like, we never get to know the guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, we never get, yeah. like, any introduction or any setup to they have different personalities or they're exactly alike. Like, we never know them, so their jokes aren't funny. The only personality trait is that they're both really angry at always being called the other one, which is, like, funny for, like, a one-time joke or, you know, funny maybe for, like, an SNL sketch. But, like, when a fairly major-ish character in this movie, it doesn't really work that well. Yeah, especially since, like, he becomes, like, the fourth most important character, and that's just by screen time. It's not that he's all that important. It's just that they keep running into him at his office because he runs the station. You know, he's not necessarily important to the movie, but he's in it a lot. Okay, so we know why the movie suffers, and that's because it's an adaptation, like we talked about a lot. I really wonder if, going back a little bit to what you were saying earlier about cutting away sort of jarringly to these different scenes, these sort of flashbacks, the the depictions of the, the soap operas, I wonder if the movie wasn't coming together while they were shooting it or, you know, rewriting it or editing it or whatever, And they were just like, okay, these are like, without a doubt, the most enjoyable parts of the movie. You know, it captures the tone that we're going for. You know, it's it's what people are going to want to see the most. I wonder if they just like, you know, the rest of this isn't working. And like, rather than reshoot it all, like, let's just sort of show this. Like, I wonder if that might have happened. It's hard to say, really, right? Like, I don't know, because, okay, like, let's just say, you know, if I was an executive and they screened this for me, I'd be like, well are we going for a comedy or are we going for a drama? Cause right now we don't really have either of those, you know? And it's like, I don't care which one you want, just pick one and stick to it. I'll watch Keanu go after his aunt, the whole movie, but leave the radio station out of it. Or I'll watch Keanu bumping heads with Peter Falk, the new writer at the radio station, but leave the aunt out of it. You know, it's like, yeah. you, you gotta really, there's two things going on and I only want to see one. What's also weird is that like when you're saying you don't know whether it's a comedy or a drama, like, I mean, it turns out to be a dream sequence, but at one point in this movie, Keanu shoots and kills his aunt and her lover, like, in, like, a fit of, like, jealous rage. It's bananas. 
Yeah, what's even crazier is that it's implied at the opening that Peter Falk explodes in a bombing of the first radio station, but somehow survives. And then at the end, it's uh, implied that he commits suicide in the burning radio station at the end of the movie. Like, it's all kind of darkness there for a minute that it's very hard to bounce back with the limited amount of time we have left in this movie to feel good again. You know, I was like, whoa, Keanu just murdered two people and Peter Falk killed himself. Like, what is going on? And, like, the fact that when we realize that it's a dream sequence and that Keanu sort of jolts awake in the car, maybe it's not even, like, a dream. Maybe it's, like, a fantasy sequence because I think that's, in a way, that's sort of a different way that we're seeing what's being depicted on the radio program. That, like, I think he's listening to this radio program and the young lover kills the woman he's in love with because he can't have her and blah, blah, blah. And so we find out that, like, that didn't really happen. And it's like, okay, good. Like, we sort of feel a sense of relief. But it's just like, this movie shouldn't need that sense of relief. Totally just so off. Yeah, it would have just been fine if it played out without that whole dream sequence. And he just went up and it ends like it did. Like, she's in the car by herself and invites him into the back seat, And they sip Miss McGill's tea and, you know, yep. kind of live happily ever after together. They, they just they run off to Paris. Like, yeah. Like, give it that happy ending that it needs without that false twist because the whole movie is riding on are they going to get together and there's never been Keanu cutting to a dream sequence before and it's and I'm not picking up on oh like this is a dream sequence because we've cut to the radio play dream sequences earlier like these aren't the same you know so there's no reason for me not to think this is actually happening so i'm just too confused and then i almost care a little less that they're together at the end and all that because i'm like i'm just trying to bounce back from that so i just think they should have straight up gone with the happy ending i mean it's a cheap trick that the movie plays right yeah. that it it creates like this sense of i don't even want to say empathy it's just like the sense of like surprise almost that Keanu did this thing, and then, you know, when we're like, oh, he didn't actually do it, it's just like, oh, okay, like, so now what? Okay, now they just get to be together. I don't like it. <laughs> just don't like it. Yeah, I agree. I want to see if there's anything else in my notes. I think we did a pretty good job of dismantling this movie. I think another missed opportunity that this movie has is there's, like, I think maybe just one scene with Keanu's little brother, and there's a really good line that Keanu says. He's like, bug off, puss face, or you die. Bug off, puss face, or you die. I sort of wish that this goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like, I wish that there was more time spent with the family because, you know, Keanu as this older brother while he's trying to woo this older woman. Like, I think like not that there's necessarily great stuff inherently there, but like there's the possibility for more. Definitely. We've seen Keanu be an older brother a couple times, and this is definitely the worst older brother role that he's pulled off so far as, as far as being a good older brother. And, and you're right, there was a chance there to turn that relationship around, you know, and like at first him and his brother don't get along. And then at the end of the movie, they do. And maybe his brother is having questions about puberty and things like that, right? He seems to be of around that age. There was room to play with that missed opportunity. The whole, the whole family dynamic thing is just absent here. and It needed to be emphasized because when we meet the dad, it's like, oh, this dad used to be the aunt's brother-in-law. So he really knows what she's all about because he's been around her. He know, you know, I would imagine he knows her tricks and you know, what she's really about and Keanu's naive about her and stuff. So yeah, I feel like that should have been more present. I really wonder, 
it's sort of a weird thing that like the worse an adaptation is sort of the more that I want to read the book, but also the less that I want to read the book. Like I feel like with these bad adaptations, the book's got to be like, I think the worse the adaptation is almost the better the book has to be, if that makes sense. Cause it's like, there, there has to be something there. And so I sort of want to go back and read this on some level to find out if that family dynamic is there. But at the same time, I'm just, you know, I didn't enjoy the movie I don't really care about the story. I just, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. It's, it... Yeah, I almost just want to talk to someone who has read the book and like sit them down to the movie and then watch it with them and maybe have them do a commentary for me. What's different? What's the same? What's it changed? I don't know. That'd be nice. So if you've read this book, you want to let us know what's different, what's the same, let us know. There's just too many things to do. Like, I don't want to spend my time <laughs> reading a book that's that's inspired a movie I don't really enjoy. Yeah, I agree. I think if I'm going to go back and read a book that a movie's based off, I'm going to start back in Cage Club, you know, and maybe go read Captain Corelli or something like that first. But yeah, I don't really have any desire to know much more about what happened here. But I will say one thing, Peter Falk is really great in this. Like, I know he's a great actor and people consider him a treasure and everything, you know, he is, he was, you know, but he really is. Like, I'm watching him in this movie going like, man, I really wish this character had his own movie. You know, it almost seems like he deserves it. Like he wanders out of this movie. I'm like, oh, what movie is he going to show up in next or something like that? And him and Keanu have good chemistry when they're together as well. So even more reason why I wish this was set at the radio station. They could have interacted the entire film. As much as we like Keanu, obviously, like really the only reason to watch this movie is for Peter Falk. Keanu's is sort of interesting, but he's also only sort of interesting in comparison to what he's done to this point in his career. I mean, if, you, if you're familiar with him and, you know, future movies like The Devil's Advocate or whatever, you know, you've seen other things and it's sort of like, oh, okay, like I, I've seen this type of thing before. It's interesting historically in the, the way that we're going through because it's unlike his other roles. But, I mean, there's no, there's really no reason to watch this movie, period. But if you are going to watch this movie, Peter Falk has all these different characters, and then at the end, just deciding he's going to become a cardinal <laughs> and driving off, and just, you know, apparently the mustache he's been wearing all movie was a fake mustache. There's just, like, little silly touches that are funny. It's, it's just packed around this melodramatic, but also at the same time, very serious sandwich. Yes, a sandwich I won't order again at the deli. <laughs> And this is another movie where basically no one from this movie will ever act with Keanu again or ever be involved with anybody again. There's one person in this, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, who I don't remember who she played, but she will return in Providence, which is notable for being the most recent movie, I think it comes out the next year, that we just cannot find. Like, it just does not exist. Or it's very, very expensive. Okay. Uh, But other than that, nobody ever comes back in another Keanu movie, so... The fact that we didn't like this movie is maybe good because none, none of these people will ever cross paths with him again. Yeah, and even that one actress, like, it's out of our control because that movie is just nowhere to be found. So she won't return for us either, no matter what. It's beyond our I control. It, it's beyond <laughs> our control. I think that's all I have to say about this movie. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover that we didn't get to? No, I think, I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about. Cool. So this is a sort of a shorter one. It's just, you know, it's it's one of those movies where, like, as soon as the movie starts, I was just like, oh, I am not on board <laughs> what's going on here. And it's it's the kind of movie, I think, maybe similar to how you felt with I Love You to Death last time, that if it hits you, in a, if, if, you if you sort of catch it, like, at the right way, at the right time in the beginning of the movie, I can see people loving this. 
It's just that if you, if you sort of break it down or if it doesn't hook you right away, it's just not going to. Because what the movie does, like, it doesn't really diversify, really. It just sort of doubles down on, like, things it's doing. Yeah, at least for me with I Love You to Death, like, I got into that movie as it got along, you know? Like, I feel like I just experienced almost a false start with that film. But with this, I feel like it trips right away and it never really gets back on its feet properly. So hopefully the next episode or the next movie, because, I mean, actually the next two episodes we're doing, neither is a movie. We're going to be doing the Bill and Ted TV series, the first season, which I did. And then we're doing the Paula Abdul Rush Rush music video. So the next movie we're doing is Point Break. Wow. And that's going to be definitively better than this, because Point Break (laughs) is, aside from The Matrix, my favorite Keanu movie, I think. Or, I don't know, it's right up there with John Wick. I mean, Point Break is just terrific. So we'll be back in three weeks with Point Break, and I'm so excited for that one. It was weird when we did Cage, we would have these like really dark movies sandwiched by kids' movies. Mm-hmm. Here we have this very sort of silly I Love You to Death, which is charming and lovable if you catch it in the right way. And you have Point Break, which is a cult classic and just like a terrific action movie. And then in the middle, it's just sort of this sad, weirdo loner of a movie <laughs> that doesn't really have a home or a country. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, like I didn't even know about this film until we started Keanu Club. You said, you, you, you said that, right? Like, you were also, you didn't know about this one until we started researching Keanu films, really? Yeah, no, I, a lot of these Keanu movies, basically, if I haven't seen it, I haven't heard of mm, it. Okay, yeah, so that makes it even more obscure, right? That it's right before Point Break, and no one's really even seen it. I showed the list of movies to, like, 20 different people, and nobody <laughs> even, like, because if, if anybody wrote this on their list... I would have given it to them. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we have like a a quota for people. Just nobody had heard of this movie or people. I know that people like I know that Jordan, for instance, would go back and sort of research movies that she hadn't heard of. When Larson was supposed to be on the Prince of Pennsylvania, he was like going back and sort of doing a little bit of preliminary research for like movies that sort of sounded interesting. Like anybody who did that, nobody picked this one. <laughs> and so it's something that either nobody's heard of or nobody found interesting. It's just, it's strange. And I mean, I, I think that it's a different time period, but I sort of got at one point while watching this movie, like a Cotton Club vibe. Yeah. Because it's, it's sort of like the first movie or one of the first movies where it's like a very different era. And even though that movie has its flaws, I mean, there's so much more to like about that and enjoy about that than this movie. Yeah. This movie is just like, aside from Peter Falk, like we've been saying, there's just nothing here. Yeah, at least Cotton Club had like great dancing and great jazz music and really interesting photography and, you know, some kind of cool camera sequences and I did, for some reason, I felt the same little thing. I was like, there's getting like a weird time club thing. And I think it's just because, not that we're in the same time period, but like we're close and I don't know what it was, but I, I also got kind of a vibe. This isn't the first period piece that Keanu's done, right? Like there's at least one other one. He did Dangerous Liaisons, but that right, takes that's place what in France, you know? So technically, I guess this is his first that takes place in America. And maybe that's why. There is this thing just about the style of the 50s. Like, it just looks Americana in the same way that, like, the style of the Cotton Club also was very close. So I think it's just aesthetically we're seeing sort of the same types of fashion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, It's weird that we both have the same inclination about the movie or, like, you know, what movie it compared to. But I guess if, if we both thought it, I mean, we both see enough movies. It's not like we've only seen Cajun Keanu movies that if we both have that same feeling that there, there's got to be something there. Watch the Cotton Club is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, there is the nostalgia vibe that hangs over both films. That is a tone that worked. Little else worked, but at least like this film felt kind of nostalgic. Yeah, that's fair. 
So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can figure out what we've done. I just told you what's coming next. We've got a TV show, a music video, and then Point Break. You can check out our other podcasts on the network, all sorts of fun things at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Die.